Hey, I'm Grace Nichols, the Kinship Minister for Soul Force, and you're listening to our new podcast, Go With Grace, responding to white Christian supremacy with resistance and resilience. Soul Force works to end the religious and political oppression of LGBTQI people by decloaking the ideologies of Christian supremacy and healing our community's spirits from weaponized religion. We build radical analysis, political education, and spiritual power for activists across all social justice movements wherever the work is threatened by white supremacy and Christian fundamentalism. We believe that our movements will only win if we can eradicate the ideological system that moralizes and justifies wide-scale violence and injustice, also known as white Christian supremacy. Therefore, our goal is to seed all our movements with a working knowledge of white Christian supremacy, how it functions, and the tools to combat it. We're going to get into it, y'all, and we're going to go with grace. Hey, Grace Nichols, Kinship Minister here. In this episode, I feel so fortunate to be in conversation with longtime Soul Force family, Crystal Cheatham. Crystal is the founder of Our Bible App. She's an activist, writer, and podcaster. She's a very accomplished human. Very wise and funny and just wonderful to talk to. In this conversation, we talk about her experience with coming out, the Equality Ride of 2012, purity culture, the deconstructionist playbook, and a soul force foe for many years, the Falwells. In case people are unfamiliar with the Equality Rides, the Equality Rides were a soul force program in which groups of LGBTQ people visited colleges and universities across the country that had homophobic and transphobic policies, many of them Christian universities with Title IX exemptions. If you're unfamiliar with Title IX exemptions, that's a whole other podcast. But in short, a Title IX religious exemption gives an institution the right to discriminate based on religious belief. The writers would stage direct actions or work with local students to create their own action in effort to hold the institution accountable. The riots occurred between 2006 and 2016 or 17, and while that specific program no longer exists, the spirit of the riots live on in something called the Religious Exemption Accountability Project, also known as REAP. This year, Soulforce became the fiscal sponsor of that project, which entails a class action lawsuit against the Department of Education, a research report, and a documentary. If you would like to learn more about REAP, I'll include the link in the show notes. In case people are also unfamiliar with the Falwells, I'd like to direct you to two other audio resources. Number one, an abridged audio version of Stranger at the Gate. In this book written by Soul Force founder Mel White, he shares his very challenging experience of coming out while working deep in conservative evangelical circles, including the Falwell family. Did y'all know that Mel White is a badass? Flawed, like any of us, but a badass nonetheless. Did you know he moved into a house directly across from Jerry Falwell Sr.'s church in Lynchburg, Virginia, so that he and the congregation could witness a happy gay couple flying their rainbow flag proudly every day? His story is a heartbreaking yet inspiring share. And my favorite quote is when Mel tells us we must outvote, outorganize, and outlove our opposition. I 
definitely agree, as long as we're talking about the James Baldwin, Gloria Anzaldúa, Asada Shakur type love. The love that's complex and rigorous, unyielding, and uncompromised under the weight of oppression. It's not an easy love, and Crystal and I talk about that a bit too. I'll include a link to Mel's audiobook in the show notes. The second resource is a podcast called In God We Lust. It's far less uplifting and a rather sad but entertaining listen of the corrupt and hypocritical actions of the Falwell family. I'll also include that link. And I'll let those be a few of my recommendations for this episode. My interview with Crystal is actually the very first interview I did, but divine timing would have it be the perfect follow-up to the last episode where Reverend Alba and I discuss questions as purification and going through the fire of transformation, which is even more timely because the conversation we had was recorded on June 22nd, the birthday of visionary writer Octavia E. Butler. I believe Octavia wanted us to be really intentional about how we adapt and change to our existing conditions. White Christian supremacy perpetuates this lie of individualism and survival of the fittest, and I think that's flat out insulting to our ancestors and the ones who came before us and the ones beside us who shape us. And it's insulting to the ones who come after us and will challenge what we did and reshape what we did. White Christian supremacy is so limiting. It has produced critique and cancel culture, perfectionism, silencing. It really leaves very, very little room for change and adaptation. And I wonder what can shift when we can orient towards possibility. What becomes possible when we can let go of fear and shame and lean into learning and adapting? What would happen if we were gentle with ourselves as we undo all these oppressive things we've been taught? In the last episode, Reverend Abba also said, by the grace of God, there go I. And as a trans disabled person, I have definitely been transphobic and ableist in my lifetime. As someone who is deeply dedicated to anti-oppression and dismantling white supremacy, I have certainly been anti-black and classist in my lifetime. Not willfully, I don't think, but that's neither here nor there because what is more important is that we are all taught to be oppressive. Many modern cultures are built on binary systems that dictate who is good and who is bad and therefore who is worthy and unworthy of resources and support. White Christian supremacy dehumanizes us all. It gives those in dominant social categories such as white, wealthy, able-bodied, cisgender, heterosexual, Christian, a sense of higher moral authority. So those on the margins, black, brown, disabled, trans, working class, etc., all of us feel unworthy. And furthermore, white Christian supremacy gives people in dominant social categories permission to look down and how inhumane is it for white people and other people of privilege to see suffering all around and to think that it has nothing to do with them it's a deep deep lie that we do not belong to each other and that we are 
not responsible for our collective well-being. Crystal speaks to this when she describes her version of heaven, and I think it's beautiful. Another one of my favorite quotes is from my hero, Grace Lee Boggs. She said, you cannot change any society unless you take responsibility for it. I believe this wholeheartedly, and I believe it starts with us as individuals. I have grown to feel most empowered when I take responsibility for my own beliefs and actions and impact I have in the world, and I am hopeful that we can all shapeshift into beings that feel deeply connected and feel deep care for one another. I'll let us get into the interview, but first a quick shout out to my dog, Sandy, who you'll get to hear say hi with a shake in the middle of the conversation. Please enjoy this conversation with Crystal Cheatham. Hi, Crystal. Hi, guys. <laughs> good to be talking with you today. Yeah, it's really good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My name is Crystal Cheatham, and I... I'm the founder of Our Bible App, which is a digital publisher. And uh, recently we also started Bemba Press, which is a print publisher. Um, and our first actual book in the works is the Deconstructionist Playbook. And so far it's doing really great. But um, yeah, I'm a queer black woman, cis woman, and I've been in this space of, of uh bucking against the religious conservatism uh, for a while. And it feels really good. So yeah, that's me. Thanks for joining us. And you have a bit of history with Soul Force as well. Can, can I you do a little bit more about that? Yeah, I was a 2012 equality writer. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life, but also very rewarding in that it gave me an education in um, the social justice movement that I had so much passion for already. It um, created a community of folks that uh, supported me in some of my other endeavors. And to this day, you know, we still have that really strong connection because we went through hell together. And um, I continue to work with Soul Force in an ad hoc fashion um, as, a, uh, as a contractor for many years after that. And I think the last big iteration of that was in, it was in uh, 2016, um, 2017. So yeah, yeah. I love the organization. I love Alba. I love Jess. I love all the work that they get to do. Mm -hmm. Yes, I feel real lucky to be a part of this organization as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've known of you and your work for such a long time, I think. Oh, that was a dog shaking in the background. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> um, I feel like your work is so prolific and you are such a go-getter. Um, I have been so impressed and curious about uh, your process as far as like identifying things that need to be done and then just bam, going and doing them. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe take us through that journey, particularly connected to Christianity? Right. I mean, I think that my approach has just been, I'm frustrated. And also, 
I have issues with authority by nature. So whenever there's a problem and I see that there's a way to fix it, or at least, um, you know, disrupt it, then, um, then yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack. <laughs> oh man, if that's a good word to use. Yeah, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, which is a really fundamentalist denomination. And um, upon my coming out, you know, realized that I had to choose between my church, my church community, my family, and, uh, and myself. And ultimately, I had like this really intense moment where I was standing at the edge. I mean, I had just graduated college and I was standing at the edge of my mom's driveway and I was looking out and I like had a vision of two roads that I could go down. And one was do everything that people had told me to do so that I could stay within this, this bubble, this happiness, you know, find a husband, get married, have kids. And that looks so predictable and easy. And then there was like this other path that didn't even, it didn't even like appear as anything. It was just so heart strong. Like my heart was throbbing for it and it was just mystery, you know? And I thought, well, that's the adventure, right? So of course that's the place I want to go. And it was this like very calming communion with my God. I feel like it was, it was a very spiritual moment. And um, I came back to my senses and I, and I grabbed the trash can that I went down there for. And, you know, I hauled it back up and I knew that I needed to come out to um, my family. And ultimately that started my adventure in Philadelphia where, um, I met some amazing people who also uh, also supported uh, the work that I wanted to do around uh, religion and LGBTQ inclusion. And yeah, it was extremely difficult, but you know, that started my work with the Identity Kit Project and Soul Force and that Equality Ride were a place where I saw that there was unlimited room to push back against the powers that be. You know, you could always talk back to your oppressors. You could always find a way to show up in a room and, and tell your story. Um, it was also the place where I learned how important story is, that right. it's so much better to talk to people from your heart and from a place that you're passionate about than to create a presentation and lay down uh, facts and stuff because it's a lot easier to push aside facts than it is to say that you, your story, who you are is wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I've just, I learned so many things from Soul Force and that just kind of propelled me forward um, and maybe even was a catalyst <laughs> to some of my anger problems against the powers that be. <laughs> a conduit. A conduit. Yep. For sure. Uh Yes, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm sort of just following my gut. Yeah. And um, I'll say that I've been a part of the org for three years. When I came out in high school, I was living overseas on military bases. And I was able to find Soul Force online in like the early 2000s. And yes, greatly helped me along my journey as well. And I know that Soul Force has had many iterations and its own evolution of politics. And so you had mentioned just a bit ago, like the quality ride was hell. And I'm sure in many different ways, if you feel comfortable talking about that, I'd be curious to know 
on any level, what was that experience like, the impact, and particularly any reflection uh, from that time to now of your experience? Mm. You know, I think it was hard personally because I was, I was only a year and a half, two years into coming out and um, coming from that intense religious traumatic moment of realizing that I didn't have, there wasn't space in my church for me. And carrying that into some of these rooms where, you know, you're sitting down with the student government leaders, you're sitting down with administrators, you're sitting down with like the provost of these uh, really conservative schools. And um, first of all, we sent out letters demanding an audience with them. And in the past, you know, that has just resulted in, you know, soul force protesting outside and figuring out creative ways to uh, organize a sit-in or some other demonstration. Um, but this year was special. And I think that the schools had clued into, you know what, we don't want a big stink. We do not want there to be this huge fanfare and press and stuff in this area around this. And so they had started to invite us in and, you know, host us, have dinners with us, show us around their campuses, um, give us an audience actually with their students or their student governments, you know, wholeheartedly knowing that all they had to do was let us in and then push us out, right? And so our job was to sit and have conversations with folks. And I think it was like three or four stops in where we realized, you know, we are pouring our hearts out to these people and we are getting very little back. You know, it's just, we're telling them stuff and they are refusing to engage, they're nodding and then they shove us out. And then, you know, they have not had to engage with their student body about this. They haven't had to do um, any real work. And so I think a few stops in, we realized that we need to pause in conversation and ask them about their experiences. And I think it was in that moment of building relationship that shit got hard because here you have people talking about the ways that maybe their uncle or their brother is, is gay or queer and um, them not knowing what to do about it, you know, or them talking about, well, I don't think that, you know, 10% of the student population could be queer here of all places. Absolutely not. You know, and following that path down the, down the way, because in building relationship, it is this, um, this uh, nonviolent act of believing that the person you're talking with and trying to convince will have to convince you a little as well, right? This, this idea that if I go into this space and think I'm going to, I'm going to speak truth to power, um, being open enough to know that power is going to speak to you and you have to be willing to be open and listen and engage as well. And so it's this idea that it doesn't matter how opposing our sides are, I have to be willing to learn from you the way that I want you to learn from me. And I think that was the hardest thing because here were those administrators or pastors who had stood in front of me and told me that I was a sin, right? Like I was, I was reimagining those faces and I was, I was internalizing their, their, how hard their hearts were. And I was thinking, you know what, like, if this person doesn't change their mind, what does that mean for me when I go back to the bus? Um, 
I think that was the hardest, that was the hardest thing. But there were moments where we saw kind of cracks in their facade when um, they would express uh, some of these administrators or these students would, would, the students definitely would come and find us afterwards at the, you know, the local coffee shop. And, you know, we'd have some real intelligent conversations about what the Bible actually said. Um, and I think we left that equality ride thinking we spilt our blood, you know, back and forth across the U.S. and we have little to show for it. We haven't installed one gay straight uh, alliance in any school. We haven't, um, there were so many things that we wanted to do that we had the passion to do that didn't actually happen. But now, you know, years later, what is it, nine or 10 years later, I still run into people who were like, oh my God, you came to my school and at the time I wasn't out, but now I am, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, like we actually planted seeds. And I think that was, that was what we couldn't see at the time. All we could see was our own failure. Um, but I want to say that there was a solid wall around LGBTQ inclusion in the conservative church. And at that time we were actually putting cracks in that wall. And I think that today we're seeing a lot of those results. Yeah, it was an intense experience. Very intense. Goodness gracious. Bless y'all for that work. Yeah. What a hard ask. What I heard was the ask is to see humanity in these people who are so adamant about denying us. Yes. Humanity. And it feels just like a really hard contradiction to live in yeah. because you know the more humanity we give the hope is that the more humanity we get however we know that that's not always the case um I got very excited because it all feels very on time I uh, saw earlier on the internet that it's Octavia Butler's birthday oh for real that's yeah. amazing and so when you're talking about being open to uh, being changed by these people, the way that we would hope that they might be changed by us, I, that's the first thing that came to mind is, um, is that sentence of all that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Yes. Oh, and I feel like you really spoke to the thing about not always uh, getting to see the impact of our actions. Maybe it's just a seed. Yeah. Wow. When you were speaking, I was also thinking about um, this strategy it seems that's in place of presenting a quote unquote easy path. You were saying like, oh, it's just going to be easy. Uh, find a husband and go down this certain trajectory. That seems like a really uh, constraining offering that I think messes a lot of people up yeah. um, because they present it as easy. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, I think it would have been easy in that I would have 
had this already the support of a community, even though they were pushing me down a path that wasn't authentic to who I was. I think that it was still going to be um, within the bounds of everything I'd known and everything that felt comfortable and, and, and real. Um, and yeah, the, the alternative was terrifying of the unknown, of having to ask questions that I never had to ask before, you know, think about, you know, cause in that time I had been taught so much about purity culture. I had been steeped mm-hmm. in all of this religious dogma that prevented me from, you know, um, riding a bike on the Sabbath day or playing secular music or drinking or like all of these things. Right. And so I knew that if I went this other way, I would have to make up my own mind about that. And I would have to answer to God about that. Right. So it was like, am I willing to risk my soul for this thing that I believe is true about me and it's okay about me? Mm. Something that I think that God is not, is not gonna punish me for, right? right. Um, even though all the, all the other people are telling me that, yes, you will be punished. This is a bad idea. <laughs> you will go to hell. And so, yeah, it was a really intense moment of fear and frustration and not knowing what community I would find out there, if I would find any. Because uh, I grew up believing that we are in the world and not of it, right? So there's mm-hmm. a huge difference between Seventh-day Adventists because we're just this elite version of Christians. And not only are we not like basic Christians, we're not heathens. And so the moment that you um, step into a bar, you're gonna see nothing but alcoholics. You know, the moment you decide to have premarital sex, you're gonna be a sex addict and you're gonna get pregnant and then you're going to be a crack whore. And it was just like all of these. The most these, like, extreme. <laughs> yes. That's, yeah, no question. That will happen to you. So you better not even think about it. Right. And so like the world really was that black and white for me mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't until like I started going on. I started, I moved to Philadelphia and I started to really see the city that I realized that oh my God, heathens are amazing. Heathens can actually be amazing Christians too. They treat people well. They don't like kick their dogs there. They have a drink and it's fine. Um, Yeah, I I quickly became a heathen once I realized that it was all a fairy tale. You know, it was all a scare tactic. Wild. Dang, wild. It really feels like there's so much more possibility Uh, When you can just remove the fear and shame of something, you know, there's when, when you tell someone there's no other way except for this way. um, And there is that constraining box. There's no room to, to just like figure out whether it feels right for someone or not. It's a, it's a, a damaging cycle. It really is because I don't know the, the God that I believe in now encourages me to ask questions, you know, mm. encourages me to see, look into the darkness because I just, I personally don't believe that there's anywhere you can go that God isn't already there. Yeah. You know, that God mm. is not already there um, and doesn't have a way to hold you and teach you something or um, elevate you in that situation. So this idea that like, 
shame can can cling to you and keep you from asking questions is just to me that's just pure evil you know um shame is really hard to shake off shame is i think one of the biggest factors in why christian conservatism is so strong and that's yeah just plays into our our biggest fears our biggest insecurities yeah um, my friend Matthias Roberts writes a book about shame. He's talking about sexual shame. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's really powerful because he just like takes the time to unravel purity culture and how it's, it affects us today. Like you could be an out queer person and living your best life, but um, purity culture does affect every single thing that we do because it's everywhere, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a fantastic book if I can just plug that. Definitely. I'll link it. That sounds, I think we need more resources and guidance. Would you care to, if you have sort of a concise definition of purity culture that we could try to jump off of? Yeah, I would say purity culture is this belief that your sex and your sexuality are linked and that the only way to exercise sex in God's eyes is in a loving marital relationship. Of and the so, heterosexual of nature. Of the heterosexual nature. And anything outside of that is dirty and wrong mm. and um, cannot be repaired. So purities, I mean, it goes into like gender roles and the way that a man should be and the way that a woman should be. It goes into, um, it goes into modesty and Mm -hmm. how women are supposed to appear and not supposed to uh, tempt men. It goes into the the Mm -hmm. rape mentality. It's all there in built into purity culture, putting women's, uh, purity on a pedestal and men's who knows you know right this white men sexuality will be dominant that's the point right it's Mm -hmm. all about power Mm -hmm. um yes it harkens back to that box and if you don't allow people to ask questions there's there's really really harmful things that develop uh, in secret places. And I think about all of the harm that particularly people on like the conservative Christian right have caused sexually. I think about the latest thing that happened with Jerry Falwell Jr. And it was just like, I mean, we're not necessarily recruiting the Falwells to our side. No, but if <laughs> they can stay over there. That really can stay in a separate place. But if like they were able to just be like, I have this sort of like kinky thing that I'm into. Right. If they were just allowed to be like, you know what? I I am into open relationships and Mm -hmm. I would love to be in a throuple with this person that I feel so attracted to. (laughs) And maybe they wouldn't be such harmful people in the world otherwise. Just like get to be yourself. And if only they had done the work with their congregation, you know, started doing that work with their congregation, they would be in a much better place now. 
Truly. Oh, goodness gracious. And that's the hard part, too, is, again, we we really have to decide where we want to focus our work. I feel like Soul Force over the years um, has done our best to acknowledge that those equality rides are not the best spaces for us as far as like putting a lot of our bodies on the front lines and uh, having us experience that harm. So we need to focus on more healing efforts for us. I do believe this, even though it's not my personal work or any type of organized work I wanna be a part of, but it's clear to me like the Jerry Falwell's, Jerry Farrell Jr.'s Falwell family, <laughs> anyone on like really harmful Christian right side, they really need healing. Yes. You know, and if they could just get the healing that they need, then again, maybe they wouldn't be so harmful in the world. But you know what? And I wish that it were that skin deep. It were just like this person desires healing, so should have it. But this whole, you know, Christian supremacy thing is wrapped up in a capitalist movement that is enslaving them, you know. Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. and his entire family have made millions off the backs of their their really fucked up theology. They absolutely have. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. Um, It has allowed them to get sponsorships, just perpetuating this idea that like the family unit needs to look like this, you know, allows them to make more money, you know, and holds up this idea of of the American dream that is just plain bull, right? Anyway, yeah, there's like, there's a whole trail of, of where that goes. It's not just like, you're hurting. Truly, yes, thank you for naming that. That's, I think another like- Just get so angry. <laughs> yes, rightfully so. It's another like really deep contradiction I feel is like, my gut is like, yes, we want healing for all these folks and one, they're never going to be in alignment with what we think about as healing. Two, they're intentionally oppressive. Like yes. their oppression is how they have the world that they want. Yes, it's good for them. Yeah. Wild. Wild. So wild. Well, you've already mentioned Christian supremacy. And I'd love to hear your take. I feel like it's sort of just finding its way as far as a term, as far as a concept, uh, into being a bit more accessible, a lot through the work that uh, you have done. And so I'd be curious if you could talk about the ways you see that showing up in the world and and what is possible to to dismantle it. What's the question? How is it possible to dismantle Christian supremacy? Thank you. Let me backtrack. That was really (laughs) convoluted. (laughs) Oh, gracious. Okay. So Christian supremacy as a term is, is finding its way into the world as a concept. Let's start with your understanding of what Christian supremacy is. Hmm. I think Christian supremacy is Christian exceptionalism, this belief that I am better because Mm. of uh, my perceived relationship with God. Christian supremacy is is, uh, white supremacy. 
It is this belief in colonization, in this right or duty for all brown and black people to assimilate to white culture. Um, Christian supremacy is this moral belief that everything you do in the name of God, however you interpret the Bible, is the correct way to do it. Um, Christian supremacy is straight up racism, sexism. It is a wolf in sheep's clothing. It is just pure evil. Mm. Yeah, that's what I think. (laughs) That sounds right on. So then how do you differentiate between your experience of Christianity to Christian supremacy? My faith is one of social justice. My faith is one of reaching out your hand to the person next to you, regardless of what they look like or smell like, you know, and saying my version of heaven will only come if you're there also, right? If your needs are met here on earth, if your belly is full, if you have a house over your head, if capitalism isn't smothering you, if you're allowed to love who you want to love and we are saving our planet. That, that is my version of Christianity. I believe that is who my brown Jesus tells me to be in this holy book that I, I really do love. And for a long time, you know, especially with Soul Force, my job was to look to these Christian supremacists and say, you must include me and you must include my friends, right? And at this time in my life, and especially when I decided to build our Bible app, I was like, you know what? Why do I need them to validate me? Why do I need to try and change their mind and try and change their theology or insert myself into their rock hard dogma? Why don't I just start practicing the the Christianity that I believe in? You know, the one that cares about other people, literally cares about other people where to the point where it is more important to show up at the protest than it is to show up at the pew or Everybody from the pews, the church that you attend is also going to go to the protest. That's the kind of church I want to believe in. And so I started looking around for other people who believe this and they were everywhere. And so that was ultimately why I started our Bible app was to just start to give this, this, it's, I call it progressive Christianity, but honestly, I just feel like it is just like base level grassroots Christianity, right? It is like the most basic thing that you can do for another person and for yourself. Um, That's why I started it so that we could start to push back on that loudspeaker that is saying that Christianity is Trump's Christianity, that that evangelicalism is the only way to to be a Christian, Um, to push back on this, the stigma of being a Christian. Like it really stinks to walk into a, a gay bar and or somewhere where they're doing karaoke and try to sing like any kind of religious song because it just stinks of just like all of that evangelicalism, right? I mean, I used to go on dates and I was just terrified to tell women that I was a, uh, I was a Christian. And I was just like, I know that that word just carries so much weight and it stinks of stuff that has nothing to do with me. 
But um, I think that we're reclaiming it the same way we reclaimed queer, the same way I, I, you know, I call myself a dyke and, you know, we put a capital B on black. Like, we, we're, you know, we're, we're making it our own. Um, yeah, one voice at a time. We can all get there. That's so beautiful. Ooh, yes, it's curious that the, you know, the people who don't want us to live our full lives wield fear so intensely. I feel like they're really projecting what they are is really afraid of that expanse that they'll have to go through that journey that you went through which is thinking for themselves uh, doing some critical thinking um, and figuring out a life that might be messy and confusing and scary but then ultimately fulfilling if they would give themselves a chance to just figure out what might work for them yeah Wow. to that <laughs> oh yes all the all the reclaiming it's so curious how much of a concentrated effort it takes to focus on our own well-being and like the things that we care about um, versus fighting the people who really could care less whether we live or die yep. mm. so our bible app very exciting offering in the world. There's so much there. Do you have um, any favorite elements or anything you want to pump up about it? I think my favorite element, um, and this is just like, I think it's really, I was talking to somebody about it last night, was that we have, um, you know, the daily devotionals, you read them one at a time or one day at a time, and it really helps you focus on whatever that theme is. Um, but we have writings from people who are globally known ministers to folks who um, are just armchair theologians. You know, we have students writing for us. We have huge people writing for us. And it, it comes from this, um, this idea of popular education, mm-hmm. you know, where we all have we can all theologize our personal experiences. We are all spiritual beings, whether you believe in God or not. Um, and that there is a way to, to put that into words and a way to offer that to someone else as a meditation. And I think that is, that, that is my favorite thing about it. You know, that we can, we can find nuggets of truth anywhere. You know, anybody has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that feels really empowering. I think we try to do that at Soul Force as well, is uh, making a lot of our uh, resources accessible. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's another strategy of the oppressive side is to lock things up behind mm-hmm. an academic wall, um, yeah. um, specific jargon and things like that so that um, we feel dumb essentially right yeah and unworthy of knowing the things but there's so much that we already know in our bodies and our spirits exactly let's honor that let's not be gaslit by those who want to hold the power right so there's our bible app the the deconstructionist playbook yeah Uh, which you started a whole printing press to create. We did. In case y'all didn't know, um, Crystal saw a need and was like, if I can't do it, I'm going to make a way. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so how's it going with the book? 
and the printing press. I mean, I think the book's coming along really well. We've mailed out about 2,000 copies of it and selling more every day. But more importantly, we are looking to the future of what other voices we can elevate. Um, The publishing industry is incredibly white and heterosexual. Mm -hmm. And I I don't care how far up you decide to shoot when you send your book proposal to a publisher. The people who are looking at it and reviewing it are most likely white people and most likely heterosexual. And so they're reading probably your very BIPOC, very queer writing and thinking, this isn't worthy. This isn't, this isn't mm-hmm. going to sell or who, what audience is this? And even if they do accept it, they're going to cut out the parts of it that are going to speak to me, speak to you, Grace. And the book that's going to come out is going to be incredibly whitewashed. And so myself and Joe Lumen and Teresa Ta were just like, you know what? Let's stop letting them dictate what we can say to each other um, in long narrative form. It just makes sense that our first book is an anthology and everybody in that book has something to talk about. And the journey that they want to bring you through is one of dismantling the parts of toxic theology that just don't serve you anymore and finding a better way, replacing that with a community, with folks who will help you ask those tough questions. And so Jerry Falwell Jr., if you're listening, I really think you should read this book because I think it can help you with some healing. No one can see our <laughs> cheeky smiles because yeah. we did we did mean that, and yes. we're smiling in a certain way as we say it. Yes. Um, that's so wonderful because that's what you say. Essentially, that is what deconstruction is. Yeah, it's taking apart a faith that's just been handed to you or thrust on you or something that you encountered as a whole and you know asking really tough questions about wait do i actually believe that when we die we go straight to heaven you know (laughs) do i actually believe that that there's only two genders do i actually believe that and and how do i answer that question do i actually believe or or just like asking things about race you know if i'm in you know the i think the lutheran church is one of the whitest churches in america um if you are a Lutheran, you could be asking questions of, wait, how do I, how do I become more inclusive? Am I racist? You know, I only have like one black friend. Am I racist? You know, asking some of these like really tough questions, this book, or I think deconstruction is a way to analyze your belief systems and those structures and think about how that actually pours into your life and your actions and how you treat other people. I think it's really important for each of us to do, to become better, better humans, better people to live with on this earth. Right. And because our culture has in many ways succumbed to a lot of this um, fear mongering, we don't have a lot of spaces to work through these things uh, in trusted community. So that, that feels like another really important aspect of the Deconstructionist Playbook and our Bible app is we should be able to be exploring these things together mm-hmm. and in ways that really, re- again, remove that fear and shame if we have questions. Yeah. I mean, I think the last thing I can say about deconstruction is that 
if you're a Bible nerd like me, you see the way that God changed through the Bible, right? Mm. Old Testament, New Testament. And then even in the, I mean, there are basically three stages of who God was to anybody who experienced God in the Bible, right? And how ridiculous to think that over the past 2000 years, we have just decided that God is just this one, this one thing, right? That God doesn't change. Like that is freaking ridiculous. Nature has changed. We have evolved. How stuck in the mud to think that God is not changing as well. Mm, And so I really think that it is our duty to continue to engage with God instead of saying, no, God is this one thing. So I'm going to be this, this other part of that. No, it is, it behooves us to, to exercise these questions and ask where else can I find God in what other situation? Um, Yeah. I really love that question. I really wish that we had known each other earlier on in life. <laughs> I wasn't this person earlier. Come on, we're meeting at the right time. That's right. That's right. Um, yes, we've all had our journeys. Um, but I was talking with Josh the other day about, particularly, you know, as um, as younger people uh, in youth group and whatnot, if our questions had been encouraged, if our the explorations of our identities had been encouraged, yeah, the, yeah, there wouldn't be that that sort of bad rap that Christianity gets. Um, we might not have had those um, terribly traumatic experiences of you know being asked away f- or or kicked out of our faith communities yeah. and. It, I feel like there would be a lot more people who identify as Christian and feel feel really comfortable and confident um, with that uh, faith identity and practice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, growth is in the youth, you know, like when you're young, you're just, you're so passionate and able to accept things. And um, what a travesty that we spend so much time smothering that you know, mm. out of the young at heart. It is, it is, it's hurting us. Yeah. I'm hoping that we, we are moving closer to identifying these harms. Also really reminds me of one of my favorite guiding quotes is from James Baldwin. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. You know, we have to be able to name things yes. as, a, as a very first step before anything after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Well, I feel like we could talk for a very long time. I'm, I'm happy that we've, Agreed. we've had at least this time for now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to know if there's anything in particular that's bringing you joy and hope right now. Ooh, what's bringing me joy? Um, I am working on a very special project with um, Auburn Seminary and it is about race equity and LGBTQ equity. And it's like, you know, 
in the middle ground where people don't usually want to tread around these subjects. Um, and it's going to be coming out in July, I think sometime, but mm -hmm. it is just really fun to work with some of these folks. Some of these folks who have like huge platforms and um, yeah, I just, that's something that's making me really happy. I can't wait till it's out. Um, another thing is I just moved. Okay. <laughs> and I love my new apartment. I'm having a grand old time hanging out with my cat in my new space. Oh, that's great. Yes, a new space. So wonderful to get to talk with you today. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to lift up? No, thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. Um, if people want to find out about our Bible app, you can always go to ourbibleapp.com. Um, the app is available on Android and iOS devices. Um, we ask that you subscribe, but if that's not possible, we do have some free offerings, a free shelf in there for you. And um, yeah, hit me up anywhere. Online is Crystal Cheatham. So I'm, I'm always game for new conversations and new friends. Yay. Okay, wonderful. And I hope that we get to talk a lot more as well. Likewise. Likewise. Yay. All right. Thanks, Grace. Thank you. That was really good. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode five of Go With Grace. I'll be sure to include links to all the things mentioned in the podcast and also include links to the audiobook and hard copy of the Deconstructionist playbook. I also forgot to mention one of my favorite episodes of Crystal's podcast uh, featured on our Bible app is a conversation with Joe Lumen about decolonizing Christianity. And my favorite part of that episode is when Joe talks about the grand disservice of depicting, interpreting, encouraging people to think about Jesus as a savior and how that creates this culture of martyrdom and personal sacrifice. And I love that because I think the messages we need are that we actually don't need any more martyrs in movement. What we need is to be whole. So I'll send y'all off with that. Happy fall, happy Scorpio season. May you experience rich and juicy transformation and rest. And may you go with grace. Thanks y'all. Take care.